Hello and welcome everyone. I'm excited to announce a panel on electronic healthcare record systems and blockchain potential challenges and the road ahead. My name is Horst Rabelmeier. I'm a professor at Modul University Vienna in Austria. And I've been doing blockchain research for about six or seven years now. And blockchain and healthcare is one of the big topics the, the big topic that uh, comes up every time you hear somebody talking about how the whole healthcare system is going to transform. And I'm very excited here today to have uh, these panel members. So without any further ado, I'm going to start with a short introduction round. And I'm asking everyone on this panel to briefly introduce himself and to say what they have done so far in the area of electronic health records and blockchain. I'm going to start with Jim Potit who is the technology leader and senior director for revenue cycle development with Oracle Cerner. Jim? Yes, good uh, afternoon, evening, morning uh, to everyone. Jim Poteet, uh, I have 25 years experience in the healthcare and, and payments industry. Um, I own a process patent uh, on clinical data exchange via HIPAA X12, which is a US standard. Um, and HL7 Fire um, for claim reimbursements uh, that require clinical data. Uh, this reduces the administrative cost uh, in the transaction, as well as uh, better data privacy and a better security posture, and uh, potentially takes out middlemen, in, in the, at least in the US industry, that adds tremendous cost uh, in these transactions. Thank you. The next one would be Mike Gold, the founder and CEO of Gartam, a company founded in Estonia that has been active in the research and development of blockchain protocols for a very long time in the space. Mike? Thank you for inviting me. Yes, indeed. I think we can safely say that uh, we have deployed the first ever blockchain in healthcare, which was in 2008 in Estonia. Uh, the use case was, was data integrity. And it is still used today throughout the Estonian healthcare system to guarantee the immutability of healthcare records. Thank you, Mike. And the next one would be Andrew Mukurshid, who is a chief data scientist at Harvard Pilgrim Healthcare and faculty member of Harvard Medical School. Hi, everyone. Uh, yeah, so I have been, um, I was trained as a physician when we were using paper charts and then uh, have been part of the uh, digitization of um, uh, healthcare in the U.S. Uh, since uh, uh, mid-2000s and then um, have uh, helped in building health information exchanges to connect EHRs and also clinical decision support systems within EHRs. And over the last uh, six years or so, uh, started also um, uh, working on projects or research related to applications of blockchain in healthcare to see how it can address some of the gaps that we have not been able to set with the traditional health information technology. Thank you, Anjum. The next one would be Suresh Sivagnanam, who is the former owner of Modul University and the founder and CEO of VDOC. Hi, everyone. Uh, and again, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everyone in terms of uh, uh, where we are. As uh, Horst mentioned, uh, my involvement has been uh, with not only with the education side of things, but also with healthcare. Um, and uh, one of the important things that I have recognized as uh, being looking at businesses within healthcare over the last 25 years is the importance of the healthcare record. 
I think with blockchain and the integrity of uh, how this data is transferred, I think it's becoming more and more important pre-pandemic. What we saw was uh, patients effectively being mindful about speaking to doctors uh, and healthcare professionals uh, via Zoom, uh, via Teams, via video, video, and certainly by telephone. That's, that's totally changed. And what you see now is the market has totally changed in terms of healthcare and the patient to uh, healthcare professional relationship has totally changed. So effectively, the what the discussion today is definitely current. Uh, and it's really important in terms of the next challenge that healthcare has in terms of the transfer of data securely from patient to healthcare professional uh, on a global basis, that is. Thank you, Horst. Yeah, thank you, Suresh. And last but not least, of course, Alex Norta, research and entrepreneur and the founder of Dumexion. Yes, hello. Thank you so much. Um, yes, I I was uh, actually an associate professor at uh, Tau Tech. Uh, I know Arthur Boulders also quite well, who's also All very right. prominently in, in, in involved in uh, Gartam, of course. <clears throat> um, I have worked on smart contract systems starting in 2001, unwittingly, when I started my PhD thesis uh, at TU Eindhoven many years ago, uh, not even having any blockchain systems around at the time, but everything really was already about smart contract, DAO-based uh, collaboration and so on. Um, then as an associate professor, I, I had a PhD student uh, who was actually at the University of Göttingen in Germany. Uh, we worked on, on creating uh, this framework of the so-called machine to everything economy where blockchain is of course very relevant. <clears throat> so this PhD thesis was defended in Göttingen uh, in um, December 2019. So 2020, my PhD students got the so-called Klartext Awards. And um, um, as a result, um, uh, e-healthcare I see as a subset, as a subset of um, of um, of the machine to everything economy. And um, and uh, yeah, as a as a result, I still have um, a PhD student. I still have a PhD student who works on e-healthcare, and with my company Damaxion. Uh, so, so what do we do uh, with with my other PhD student, ongoing Alexander? Um, we work on um, on uh, sharing uh, critical e-healthcare data. Yeah, critical e-healthcare data for. Um, uh, high quality diagnostics. That's uh, kind of the idea. And with my company, Damaxion, I work on um, uh, multi-factor challenge sets of sovereign identity authentication, which um, which is quite critical for um, sharing data based on uh, multiple challenge sets. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. And the first topic I would like to discuss is uh, do we really need blockchain or what can blockchain do for healthcare? You have already raised many issues, but Mike, since you mentioned it, you said you started with blockchain in 2008 and anyone who knows about the space knows 2008 was the year the, the Bitcoin white paper appeared and in 2009, I think it was January 3rd, it was the first implementation of the Bitcoin core node. So that means you have been in the space earlier than most people think that it exists. And I know in 2016, I think you had uh, 1 million health records of Estonians on blockchain, right? Is this correct? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's right. To say on blockchain, I think it would be a bit misleading, though. I think healthcare mm -hmm. records are using blockchain. You know, based on based on our experience, if you know, I'd say a few lessons over the last fifteen years. One is if you need to mention the word blockchain, you've already lost. Mm -hmm. You know, the only people who, who recognize or relate, you know, are interested in this are, are innovation departments. And you can waste a lot of time thinking, going, talking to healthcare departments about blockchain. Absolutely nobody cares. It's it's what it can do that matters, right? I think the second thing that we've learned is the op opportunity for blockchain and healthcare has always been security. Um, in Estonia, it was about data integrity so that anyone can guarantee that the healthcare records are consistent, that they have an audit trail, that they have provenance, and you can verify them without having to trust all the parties in between that have been managing those records or who would have access to those records. And I would say that in my experience, if you are storing anything on a blockchain, um, you've already failed. The you know, just the complexity of healthcare means that you can absolutely use health blockchain. There are so many use cases, but if you're storing data on the blockchain, you're asking for a world of trouble. So those, those, are, those I'd say the three things we've learned. We have 15 years of scar tissue trying to uh, develop <laughs> enterprise blockchain solutions. So um, it's, uh, it's certainly challenging, but the opportunity is still there. So what would be the, the best option? So can we use blockchain? You mentioned integrity, but for any other uh, use cases in connection with healthcare? Yeah, I mean, in interoperability is a fantastic use case. In this case, you don't need the records on the blockchain, but you can use the blockchain as a trust anchor for passing information across different parties. Um, in healthcare, more broadly, I think the pharmaceutical track and trace is just an amazing opportunity. You know, we're working in in Africa now where you're creating, you effectively create a token for GS1 code. And that gives you the traceability um, all the way to frontline care workers who can verify medicine without having to log into a database for verify or get a credential somewhere. I think the, you know, the clinical trials and the, the um, ability to verify and search patient records and get a verifiable result without destroying privacy is another really exciting use case that we've been working on in Sweden. Um, so yeah, there, there's an unlimited number of use cases. The challenge is getting the technology right so that you don't scare people off and by privacy and, and putting healthcare records where they could be accessed by others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Horace, I can add to that. Um, um, you know, from from our implementation or the thoughts was exactly the same. Uh, we were looking to ways to simplify clinical data interchange. Um, and in the, in the U.S. market, uh, it's, it, you know, healthcare is very slow to change from a technology perspective. And we found a way to leverage existing protocols uh, that have been in, in the industry and actually mandated by law uh, to insert a token or a, uh, you know, hash key in a medical claim yeah. uh, that allows you uh, to hit an API that is a pointer to the clinical data that's needed uh, to assess uh, that for claim reimbursement. Um, so, you know, it's it's a specific use, use case, but exactly it is uh, security-based. It's a better operational model. You're not sending uh, packaged data across the wire. You're, you're allowing that, you know, API uh, exchange model 
where the data stays in the origin system, uh, you know, throughout the process. And um, there's a whole middle industry uh, in the U.S. market that uh, monetizes uh, gathering this data. And so there's a, a tremendous opportunity to reduce the cost to, to the providers and to the payers, uh, you know, in this use case. Mm -hmm. And I remember that when I was working on that paper about three, four years ago, that the big incumbents in the United States, you, you know who they are, they, they were kind of reluctant to, to change. But from what you're telling me now, it seems there has been a lot of progress been made in between in the last few years. There has been there has been federal policy that has forced some of these players to interoperate, to work better together. Because there are, I think, adverse market incentives to share data across uh, platforms. And that's where I think the point that Mike was making is that um, I think where interoperability can be helped by um, being able to use an underlying framework that allows for democratization of data without um, concerns for privacy, because that has been used as a primary reason for not sharing information is to protect the privacy confidentiality of patients within organizations because in the US at least and, and many other countries as well, data are uh, stored by those who are providing services and not by those who are receiving those services, which is us as patients. As a result, uh, they become the third party that has to now share information with somebody else and they would require consent of the patient or they would have to implement their own policies for protecting privacy confidentiality. So, um, I mean, one of the important parts of this is um, there are two other use cases that I wanted to mention. One is uh, identity uh, management within healthcare, which is very important in terms of who has access to what information, who is provided what information, because they can be uh, very serious and uh, uh, very personal information that uh, has long-term consequences. So being able to um, I think ensure identity is a, a very important role that will be played in, in healthcare in the future. And we have had a difficult time in doing that uh, uh, otherwise. And the other uh, the other piece, which is also, I think at some point we can talk about it a little more in detail, is um, use of uh, clinical data that is stored for clinical services, but use of that data for public health and for research, uh, which again, uh, they are big, constraints in terms of doing that at a large scale. But as we saw in COVID-19, uh, but that is needed to protect, you know, many other citizens in terms of who is getting tested, who is positive, who is under treatment, all those information that are very personal. Uh, but at the same time, you require it at a population level to build your policies and strategies to fight an epidemic like COVID, which all of us agree is not the last time that we will have something like this. So, I think both those use cases are pretty important. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Anjum. Uh, Alex, you want to add something? Uh, yes. Um, yeah, and sorry for the brief disturbance <laughs> during my introduction with my children. But I wanted to say there's a very exciting uh, change we observe coming in from this machine to everything economy paradigm. <clears throat> By the way, if anyone is interested in that, uh, uh, wrote a position paper about this, which was uh, published as a journal paper. Should just 
search for M2X uh, economy at Norta on say Google Scholar, you will find the paper. But what we do then observe uh, certainly <clears throat> with respect to identity authentication, <clears throat> Um, if we have a machine to everything economy, we, we could assume then that uh, uh, humans have wearables yeah, and engage with systems. We have a decentralized, um, well, treatment landscape with uh, many clinics involved who have to share critical data. <clears throat> and uh, so you have devices, um, you have humans, you have systems, you have organizations. And um, if, if all of that is happening online, uh, the engagement to say, <clears throat> um, achieve uh, on the fly with uh, say personal healthcare records that get dynamically integrated in more static uh, electronic healthcare records say that hospitals uh, manage, um, um, you have a trustless uh, engagement situation to collaborate to <clears throat> achieve high, high quality diagnostics and also treatment. So, the point is then that a single sign-on type of um, identity authentication is in such a context not sufficient. Uh, instead, what you need, <clears throat> depending on the concrete context, is um, um, configurable challenge sets um, um, that then devices, systems, organizations, humans um, should respond to. Everything goes on-chain, uh, so they're configured challenge sets and and the responses which uh, need to be evaluated uh, preferably uh, involving the help of um, uh, blockchain decentralized knowledge graphs uh, to to manage the decentralized knowledge uh, landscape in a unified view and also uh, uh, with the help of blockchain oracles to bring in off-chain uh, data sets and facts for response evaluation so that uh, in the end uh, if, if the responses meet uh, the challenge requirements, uh, that you can establish a trusted um, environment for sharing sensitive health data and uh, caring for the diagnostics and, um, and, and treatment. So this is a very, very exciting landscape. Uh, and certainly when it comes to <clears throat> matters like identity authentication, I think uh, this is very critical. Okay, I'm, I'm a bit biased then in this respect, uh, given what I'm working on at the moment with my company, Damaxion. But um, um, uh, I, I believe independent from that, um, um, there's a lot of work to do uh, in, in this uh, evolving M2X, machine to everything economy framework, but that also e-healthcare is uh, very much exposed to and where, of course, blockchains are one very critical element. Thank you. Well, can I just mention it was actually in the, within the UK today, actually, they launched a, um, a service which was effectively looking at the digital or the digitalization of over 40 year olds effectively for an MOT. So the MOT effectively is looking at cardiovascular disease. It's looking at blood pressure. It's looking at pulse. It's looking. So this was launched today. The first thing that comes up is how do I know my data is safe? How do I know my records? I mean, and this is current. This is actually launched today. And the number one thing that comes up is from the public, I can't trust it. So what we've heard around the panel so far is trust and authentication is number one, because effectively when you go to your live audience, that's the number one thing. And it's interesting enough because the format that we're talking about here isn't so much talking about blockchain as, as Mike said, no one really needs to know it's about blockchain. It's about trust and authentic authentication. Very similar to um, what we do with our banking apps. 
And, and that's what it is. I don't really care what's happening in the background. As long as I see some authentication going on, I feel safe. And that's very similar to what a patient's going to feel as well. As long as they're able to authenticate and effectively to authorize a transfer of data of some type, they'll be happy. So this is a, a, a quite a roadblock that we face today in the UK from this service being, and it's and it, what does it boil down to? It boils down to an aging population globally, too few uh, healthcare professionals coming through the network, and there's got to be various ways that we're effectively tackling a problem. The problem is how are we looking after people and uh, on a global basis with fewer healthcare professionals? So obviously we're going to hear things like AI come into it and digital, digitization, and we're going to look at the wearables and all of these really interesting things. But the bottom line is about trust. Whatever we do, it's the mind of uh, the patient and how we effectively look at and I used, I, at the beginning, I, I mentioned about the pandemic. For me, the pandemic was a big game changer for the delivery of healthcare on a global basis. Prior to that, when I had my doctors effectively wanting to speak to uh, their, or consult with their patients uh, online, it was, oh, it can't be done. Patients won't like it. It's not gonna happen. The pandemic completely changed that that landscape now every one of my doctors and every one of my patients don't want to travel they don't want to uh, effectively come into london or go to manchester or go to birmingham but say listen i'll do it by, i'll do it on a phone call the next thing running alongside that is the patient record because it may not be that same healthcare professional pharmacy or pharmaceutical company dealing with that particular patient it could be on a global basis so trust and authentication is very very important and I think you can blow everyone's mind with blockchain and all the other bits that go with it. Blockchain is going to be the uh, effectively the uh, the innovator and the and the mobilizer that we use. But I think it's um, I think it's important to understand what we're actually trying to achieve in terms of trust with the uh, the end user. Yeah. So um, I'm not sure if you would agree, but I would also say blockchain is just a piece in the puzzle and. We have so many technologies at hand and if we could combine them then we could create completely new systems but for me it's just funny that we are discussing these opportunities that we have and i've been doing this for many years and just to give you a story a couple of weeks ago i went to a doctor of mine for a regular checkup health examination and i was with her before but she changed the the clinic she's working for and so what i needed to do for the for half an hour so i would need to give her all my data again because she's lost everything and she had a piece of paper in front of her and writing everything down so i would like to ask you if you could name um the most advanced solutions of course you you should not only talk about your company it could be your company but you also should name some competitors or could you name some countries that you think are well advanced because of legislation or where do you see the next big steps when it comes to the evolution of healthcare with an eye on blockchain maybe but not only blockchain it could also be ai or all these other technologies that we've just mentioned any ideas where should i go in the future <laughs> well okay i mean if i if i uh, if i jump in here only because with uh, what we do at the moment we we're crossing borders with regards to transfer of data or the expect anticipated transfer of data and the uh the boundaries that we face so the, the problem that you've got at the moment with uh countries is that each country uh 
you will have a certain type of model that they're working with. The issue is understanding that model between and the uh, and the language between those two different countries. So it's not with it's not so much. So it is actually transferring data, right? That's the key thing. Every country and every jurisdiction has its own way of how it deals with its uh, patient record. Um, I'll talk about the UK very simply because we are on an e-record at the moment, which effectively is a summary patient record. So you you will all remember, well, some, some are younger than me around the table, but I think one of the key things about this is where we used to go to our doctor, and they would have notes, you know, in a in a bundle. Yeah, so effectively, these are handwritten notes. So what was happening within the UK was effectively the summary patient record. So the summary patient record went uh, on effectively what we call the, the EMR. The issue there is you wouldn't believe in within within the UK that there were blockages between uh, regions. You know, so a London patient wouldn't be able to effectively go to Birmingham, for example, or Manchester and have their record. Uh, been effectively tr uh, transferred that's slightly changed yeah in terms within the uk big problem at the moment is if i go from the uk if i go into europe we're still having to transfer that data in a different way yeah there's no there's no commonality in terms of a platform so it's the platform which is the issue between jurisdictions which is where this discussion is effectively taking us in terms of how we can transfer that data on a global basis securely authentically um, and a way which effectively bypasses everything that is problematic at the moment. Yeah, I still feel like there is a, there's a lot to be said in terms of um, the current systems that are applicable successfully in, in different countries uh, around the world because uh, they actually are working in legal and regulatory frameworks that were probably developed you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, and so this was this is definitely a new challenge for a lot of regulations. We had done some research that we have not yet published, but looking at um, uh, legal frameworks across the world, and you find that it's uh, all over the place. You know, where most of the legal frameworks for blockchain are uh, as a reaction to what is happening in financial markets, then what is happening, uh, what is the potential of the use of these services. Yeah, for social services and uh, for health, where I think it solves a lot of the system problems that many governments have spent literally hundreds of billions of dollars in trying to fix, whether it's interoperability or patient linkage or record linkage or security. Um, and so I think that there's a big gap between those two, which limits kind of widespread applications of this. <clears throat> the other thing I think we we ought to also separate in terms of concepts is that one, uh, I think most people outside the industry look at blockchain as like another technology that is used for doing something like a SaaS service or something. But at the same time, I think what is essential are really the principles that define what these, this blockchain technology is. I think that's what, when we think, think of saying we can add different technologies together in which blockchain may be one of the platforms is that they, it has the peer-to-peer uh, -peer network, it has the security, the encryption, the uh, democratization, all those aspects which are important. So I, I would think that eventually, as we think of global you know, movement of patients as well as providers, uh, electronic medical records will have to be in the wallets of patients. That it will be accessible by the patient in moving around because we can't fix 
governments in terms of how they make you know policies because they will be reactive and they will be behind by 10 to 15 years and in that period i think people will suffer because they would not be able to move their data from one place to another so there are i think two sets of applications that we should look at one set of applications which are focused on organizations and how organizations interoperate interoperate which is hospitals clinics etc and that will be much more regulatory and, and compliance based the other flip side of that is when you get control of the of your healthcare data to the patient in terms of wallets that can be you know moved anywhere so you have access to that information anywhere you go because that solves the problem no government has so far uh, legislated saying you cannot keep your data and move or share it with anybody because as you were mentioning horse you are the one who is providing that data to any provider who is looking at it and there are multiple examples yeah. of vaccinations of using data across uh, countries uh, of being able to share data which uh, i think get very complicated when we have organizations controlling that information and they get much more simplified when we have individuals controlling that information 100%. Yeah, I, I would completely agree there. I think from my experience, you know, to answer your question, Horst, I think Estonia, of course, has always been seen as a, as a leader in digital innovation. I think, however, the, the mistake people make is thinking that that model is exportable to other countries. Estonia is a small country, 1.3 million, Alex, I think I'm right there. And, and they've been trying to export that yes. model to, to other countries. And the lesson from Estonia is one of the reasons they were so successful is because they had limited budget and it required people to cooperate, right? And they take this to you take this to France and every ministry has a budget. They don't want to share that money with other, uh, you know, with uh, with IBM owns that budget or whoever. And it's very difficult to to get collaboration going between different government departments, in particular healthcare. You know, I'm calling in from uh, Nairobi today, and I'm working here in, in Kenya with the, the the different healthcare teams. And I see a tremendous appetite to leapfrog in healthcare, just as they did you know, with telecom without having the, the landlines and going straight to mobile. I see a tremendous desire to innovate. And I think the lesson is interoperability is the challenge, not just in healthcare, but it's the challenge in government. And the mistake um, people make is thinking the answer is to create another shared database, whether that's a DLT or whether that's an Oracle database getting people to change their behavior and getting people to upload data into a centralized system is never going to happen. It'll never succeed because nobody wants to change their behavior or, or share their data in a way that they cannot control. And so the real answer, I think, for blockchain in, in, in emerging nations, developing nations, is the ability to have what we call selfish sharing. So you can have, let's use, let's use the pharma example. And I'm going to use a GS1 code as a tokenized GS1 code that's created by a manufacturer. And let's say it's shipped to a customs authority in a, in a developing nation. They can take an action based on that GS1 code. They can download the token and they can decide who they want to share that information with. They can share it to no one. They can share it back to the manufacturer, and they can even share it downstream, down to the clinic saying, hey, we've received this medicine. And so the interoperability piece there is using blockchain to allow people to verify the provenance and integrity of the data they receive, but at the same time, they decide um, who they want to share data with, as opposed to loading it into a centralized database. 
And so interoperability is an incredibly exciting opportunity for blockchain, especially in developing nations where they have the opportunity to to have a green field. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, I think absolutely. Alex. Also, oh, Jim, I think you were next, and then is Alex. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I mean, the 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 thought that uh, uh, we've had is exactly that. Um, you know, it's not a centralized database uh, that has everything. You have to interchange the data. Uh, it can be a um, you know network, an EMPI, EMPI that that I control as a patient. Um, and I just have pointers to all the systems that have my data. Um, and when, you know, someone, uh, when you uh, desire to have, uh, to share your data with someone, you have control uh, to do that. And you have a mechanism and the expense of, you know, moving data uh, into a centralized database kind of goes away. Uh, extremely complex to implement, but, um, you know, uh, absolutely something that uh every every country um uh, and uh could benefit from thank you jim and alex you want to add something to this discussion uh, yes i just uh, about the uh, estonian experience uh, which was marvelous for me uh, i mean i'm not in estonia anymore now uh, at the moment but uh, i lived there for some six years well while i was at tal tal tech um and uh, yeah also the e-healthcare it's really fantastic uh, but uh, the country doesn't really run on blockchain. It runs on this X road system, which is, uh, say, a cryptographic uh, timestamping uh, chain, yeah, which is centrally controlled. To put it very informally, <clears throat> and also yeah, the like healthcare. Uh, sorry, yes, yes. Okay. So, so I think the difference, they use X road for interoperability, and they use blockchain for the, the timestamping, the verification, the immutability of the records. The challenge again is it's. Estonia Xroad is based on this this concept of PKI, where everyone has a smart card, and and that is very difficult to export because they learn it's it's not the cost of the technology, it's the cost of educating everyone in the population and how to use it. Sorry to interrupt you there. I just wanted to correct. That. No, no, it's just uh, yes, yeah, it's very good. I mean, it's just absolutely correct uh, uh, all that that you say, and. Um, um, there's one thing I wanted to say because uh, uh, we we mentioned the term. I mean, we mentioned trust, yeah, and and how to achieve trust in this complex uh, collaboration environment, say in an M two X setting, um, and 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 uh, you mentioned Mike that uh, the, the the Estonian ID card, which also the nurses and doctors and so on use, yeah, also for the healthcare system <clears throat> engagement, and it's the single, I mean, centrally controlled single sign on, yeah. Um, where you just uh, get a one challenge, so um, you you get a you receive four digits, and you then have to type that in <clears throat> uh, related to your ID card, or maybe on a so connected to the smartphone. And there have been so so this this doesn't really I mean this this uh, opens up security challenges because you can't have this fine grained um, uh, <clears throat> access management which you would get with multi-factor challenge sets yeah that you can configure flexibly yeah but i'm what i'm what i talked about earlier and there were also in estonia uh, cases that uh, ended up in in the news where nurses uh, say the the neighbor showed up for some health treatment and the nurse say was a bit curious yeah, and uh, without uh, actually being permitted to do so peeped into the health records and uh, this had all sorts of implications then 
so I mean, these empirical empirical anecdotal stories really show uh, that we got to do something about uh, <clears throat> about the trust establishment. And uh, so, for example, the Estonian ID cards, yeah, uh, uh, and, and there are many other examples, uh, similar examples in other countries uh, working the same way. They don't surface. Uh, so this is uh, really an important point if we bring in blockchains for uh, collaborative uh, healthcare management provisions, diagnostics, treatment, and so on. Uh, this this is really a choke point uh, that needs to be <clears throat> tackled. So Estonia is a little bit stuck there in its past success yeah, with the extroad system, which is a bit like the backbone. So you can't rip out, allegorically speaking, the backbone out of a human and replace it so easily. Uh, Hard to do, <clears throat> but uh, I think indeed in developing countries that are not hyper-regulated and have all sorts of legacy systems. Uh, so, for example, X-Road and all this e-governance, the Finns are trying to, Finland is trying to adopt a lot of that with limited success because uh, they have their own systems, then they have a lot of bureaucracy. And uh, people who then like to demonstrate uh, and go on strike and so on, uh, if you know their jobs suddenly are at risk because XROAD comes along, say, and and overturns uh, the need for many people and disintermediates many and so on. So this is this is really a big problem. Yeah, but I think if you go to Africa and uh, since I'm I'm actually also South African, uh, if if you are if you are trying to to innovate and do some digital transformation in, say, an African country that's not hyper-regulated, doesn't have all these regu um, uh, legacy systems and so on. I think uh, <clears throat> uh, to experiment if there are good, good running cases, it's probably much more fruitful than in, sadly, many European countries that have a long history with, you know, legacy system establishment and so on. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. Uh I would like to come back to the issue of private data. I think, Mike, you mentioned that everybody wants to be in control of his or her own medical data, especially if you ask somebody, then they will tell you, oh, uh, that's my data. I'm not going to share it with anyone. But if push comes to shove, I think many people would be happy to have some kind of intermediaries. It's kind of like with Bitcoin, you know, everybody should have their own private keys to own their Bitcoin. But, you know, people are lazy, people lose their keys, so they have some kind of custodian. And the same, isn't it the same with healthcare systems? Uh, wouldn't it be more comfortable for people if they just leave the data somewhere? They don't know where it is. For most people, not the ones that are especially picky, but just to have a system that's a little bit like it is now, data is kind of in centralized databases, but they just need to go to a doctor and identify themselves. And in the future, how, how can we handle that if we have really a, a system where everybody is in charge of his or her own data? And how would authentication work with private keys, with some kind of codes, with biometric identifiers? Do you have solutions for that? Any yeah, idea? If I can judge I, it, I, then, I, I, uh, I, oh. Sorry. Please go ahead. Uh, Anshum, go ahead and then Suresh. Okay. Thank you. your turn. Um, so, yeah, I think that uh, we need to understand how the healthcare system works well, because that's important. It has been established over years, and we were talking about trust. And part of the trust is not only in data, but it is also in terms of who is providing those services. So most people trust their physicians or their doctors. Um, and yet they may not 
trust the organization or the system. Uh, and so that's uh, something to remember. The other thing is that healthcare data is also unique in the sense that there is um, uh, a lot of complexity to the interpretation of that data. So I think for some, the role of an intermediary, as you were talking about, may not be the intermediary that is storing all the data, but an intermediary that actually helps you understand what it means. Um, and can also differentiate when you're getting data from multiple places. For instance, you may get lab results from multiple places and that have to be interpreted. Uh, so that I think will be a, a part of the administration or operations of uh, data management within healthcare. It's not as easy as switching it from a centralized system to a decentralized system. I think we will also have to uh, understand how the role of providers uh, in in the new system of management of information in different ways will be changed uh, because uh, if your doctor does not believe the data that you present to them, then that data is useless, right? Because you are seeking information or help from a doctor of data that you understand very little yourself. In fact, there are uh, obviously studies with we have also seen uh, during uh, the last epidemic where people were just Googling stuff, trying to understand what it means, and they may actually come to wrong conclusions about either their risk or the kinds of treatments that may be available, especially when there is a lot more garbage uh, on the internet than there is really scientific information. Um, and so it takes time to develop good science and uh, to be able to get consensus among professionals on how to treat patients for certain conditions. So it is uh, much more complicated than I think many other industries in terms of the, the uh, how the information is used by consumers as well as by those who are providing that information. So I think that has to be taken into consideration when we are talking about um, uh, whether we need intermediaries or not, because we were trying to set up a system with uh, people experiencing homelessness in, in Austin, Texas. And again, initially, conceptually, it just seemed like you know decentralization would be very helpful. And all that will be wonderful because it will address the issues of interoperability and this fragmentation of services, et cetera. But when it came to the point of there is a very elaborate checking system that confirms for the patient that if somebody is uh, acting as a doctor, that they have been fully trained, they have been certified, they have been tested to provide those services. If somebody is dispensing medication, they are authentically providing that medication. There are a lot of developing countries where you know two-thirds of the medications are uh, counterfeit. So it's very hard then to protect these things. And I think that will be the challenge for as we move forward is that there are systems in place for actually the safety of patients. Uh, and those, how do we translate those systems? Because then a certified you know, nurse, a certified physician, a certified pharmacy has to be, has to have a role in the management of that information and interpretation of that information that a patient cannot just uh, by themselves just use, unlike currency, for instance. Thank you, Anjum. So, Suresh is next, and then Alex, it's you. That's awesome. Yeah, I think the absolutely right. I think the key, the key thing here is, um, and we a lot of this has been mentioned before in terms of the legality and also in terms of the the data that we require as well. Of course, you mentioned a, a real life example about going to two different doctors. That the reality of it is. Oh, it, it was one doctor. She oh, just one, lost. Sorry, one, she one just doctor. lost my records. Yeah, she lost your records. <laughs> But if you, if you look at the private sector, just generally, globally, every doctor asks the same questions. 
Yeah. I mean, in order, they may not have your patient record, but they ask you the same questions. It doesn't matter which country you're in. They'll basically go through the same set of questions each time. And it's that minimum data set. Yeah, because most of us, and actually funny enough, uh, and this happens to most of our patients, if you ask them what their blood type is, they won't be able to tell you. If you ask them what their allergies are, they'll go, yeah, well, I'm sort of allergic to dairy, eggs, nuts, whatever it's going to be. It's this minimum data set that you require, which you can transfer around the world. And then what you're doing is you're adding onto it. Like you said, it's going to be a trusted platform. There is no way in a million years that I can see, certainly in my lifetime, us having a super system that's effectively... Uh, from a legal point of view, from a legal point of view, allowing us to effectively share uh, data with public sector organisations in the US, public sector organisations within the UK, it has to be a disruptor. That disruptor ultimately would be a trusted platform that I as a patient will say, I'm happy to use that and it was most possibly be a private organisation to hold my data. And I will give the key to unlock that file to whoever I want to, wherever I'm in the world. And that's what I see happening very quickly, certainly within the next few years, because that's the way things where healthcare is going. And it, have, and it will have to go that way in order to face the challenges and take on the challenges that everyone's facing. But actually going back to the reality of it, the reality of it is, what is... Uh, what, it, what is a patient record? A patient record is a minimum data set that any doctor will effectively need. And there'll be obviously images and blood results and everything else. But to be honest, that just that comes part and parcel of the facts. But it's me as the patient saying, I will unlock my data. I will allow you to hold my data. Uh, and I'll take it from in the UK. I'll take it from the NHS. And I'll say, can I have my patient record? And then I will go to this private organization and say, here's my patient record. Take all the details that you want from it. And I'll, whatever it is, pay a subscription or this, that and the other, which means wherever I travel in the world, I'll give any doctor access to that record. And that's the way I think how it will be going in terms of the authentication and the trust issue. And every time that there's a blood result or, a, uh, or an image, an MRI image, a CT, whatever, whatever we're talking about, I will ask that diagnostic company to upload that image or that result to my privately held data record. And that's, and that's the way I think things will be going. Yeah, I think so too. So Alex, you want to add something? Uh, yes, uh, there was actually, um, so Horst, you, you, you mentioned also, um, or you posed the question, where should we go to find these paraphrasing ideal blockchain-driven e-healthcare systems. <clears throat> and um, uh, one territory that pops into my mind is the Emirates. So it was in 2020, uh, I spent a month uh, in, in Dubai uh, for some projects. <clears throat> and um, so um, I learned about how they run things. Uh, so of course, uh, they have unlimited funds, uh, it, it seems. Uh, they have an administration which is extremely, extremely motivated and eager to show off how they are cutting edge. Yeah? Uh, this is almost on a maniac level. It's, it's really impressive. <clears throat> and they are completely crazy for blockchains too. Uh, they're also, so, so, so they're already, I mean, they use in all sorts of areas blockchains uh, for e-governance. Yeah. 
And also in healthcare, uh, they use blockchains uh, very heavily. <clears throat> the other thing they do is uh, they integrate for e-governance systems um, uh, with uh, other countries. Uh, and the reason for that is because uh, I believe only 17% of the public, 17, I believe, are actually Emiratis. The rest are expats uh, coming from all sorts of uh, other territories. And um, there are uh, cases, I mean, that uh, triggered this need to cross-integrate, say, um, <clears throat> you come to the Emirates and you very quickly want to have a driver's license certified for the Emirates. And so there's, um, depending where you come from, there's an integration to data sources from, well, where you arrived from, um, based on agreements, yeah to very quickly, so you just go to a police station and you swipe through your passport and everything, bam, 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 gets processed and out comes your Emirati driver's license if everything works out. Uh, so also for um, um, expats passing away. Uh, so certainly in a Muslim context, this is, uh, this is uh, a situation that very quickly has to be processed. So also here you have cross-country integration. So I can't say at this point, I would have to do research if for healthcare, um, uh, certainly also in the Muslim territory uh, or context, uh, this is uh, can be quite sensitive. Yeah? Um, that that's uh, I mean certainly they have uh, very impressive blockchain-based healthcare systems in, in in the Emirates. So if you just uh, uh, go on a search engine, search a little bit for Emirates and blockchain and healthcare, you'll find uh, wonderful articles. Uh, um, given given that they have this track record of then integrating with other territories because of the very uh, big experts, uh, I mean, dominatingly large expert uh, population in the country, uh, certainly um, I could imagine that they would also try the same for e-healthcare. So I would say uh, this is um, uh, given the motivation level, the unlimited funds and uh, the eagerness um, uh, to to really show off to the world how they are cutting edge on every level, like uh, the, 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 like a perpetually learning society. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, uh, I think this is a very good uh, territory, and and also being rather small. Yeah, um, uh, so you can very quickly change laws and regulations, a bit like in Estonia. Yeah. <laughs> But um, uh, so this this is uh, very conducive if the right people come together with the right mindset and will willingness. Um, I think that's that's a very good territory to look into e-healthcare and blockchain and and its application. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. Uh, yeah, time flies. I just had a look at my watch and we are already close. Uh, coming close to one hour. So I would like to do one last round. I would like to ask all of you, uh, what would be the next step? Ideally, one that involves blockchain. So in the beginning, we were talking about the, the future of healthcare and what we want to achieve. But if you could elaborate a little bit on what you're working right now, if you are working in a company or if you're doing research, what you're researching right now, and what do you think what needs to be solved rather sooner than later? Jim, if I may start with you, because you're right from the industry. So what's your next, what's your wish list for Christmas? What do you want to achieve? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think it is, um, you know, um, making sure that, uh, you know, a, a health network is created on top of the various 
systems uh, from the various vendors across uh, the, the country that um, allows uh, individuals to access their healthcare data. Um, it also needs to tie in financial healthcare data as well um, uh, uh, throughout that. So I think that would be, um, you know, a great vision uh, to have. Um, but excuse me, are you talking about the United States as a whole when you talk about Oracle? Sona? You could talk. It, you, it could apply to the UK as well, who's broken up to various regions. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, really any country uh, uh, level. Uh, you know, type of uh, network, um, you know, could be made available. Uh, and we're seeing that, um, you know, as a vendor in the in the healthcare industry, uh, yeah. you know, a vision of taking that EHR to, you know, uh, country levels. Uh, but, you know, there is interoperability needed and, uh, you know, security uh, across that because there's never going to be one EHR you know, in a country or a region, there's going to be multiple. Yeah, I'm just asking because before we heard it's easier to implement something in Estonia with one point something million people or the United Arab Emirates. But I think when you're talking, then you always have, let's say, the United States in mind or, or like you said, Great Britain. Is there a chance for you to have some kind of test regions where you can try out things? Uh, yes, absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. Um, that's, you know, When, when you look at it, uh, at least in the U.S., um, you know, you really have to do it at a regional uh, uh, level. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, if you can get buy-in from a, a large uh, IDN um, that has services across the continuum of healthcare, from, you know, the, the birthing side all the way through rehab, through assisted living, Uh, uh, facilities uh, to, you know, buy into the vision and and help implement those things. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So, Mike, what are you working on right now? What's the next big hurdle that you need to overcome? Oh, you're muted. Sorry about that. Uh, I think the first time it's happened on this call. It must be a record. <laughs> <laughs> I think Somebody you know, had to <laughs> We're on a mission to end counterfeit medicine. You know, this has been tried. Many have tried, many have failed, right? And so the question we have, can we learn from our past failures is why um, counterfeits are, are still existing. And is it a technology problem? Is it a legislation problem? Is it a governance problem? And I think we're, we're on the right track. You know, we've been working with many pharma companies and The way they create what's called a GS1 code, right? It's the it's a serialization code that goes onto pharma. They use a system called SAP ICH, right? And this is how they create these uh, GS1 codes. And if we integrate blockchain technology into that, right, it means that the pharma companies don't have to change their behavior at all, right? They just have to say yes. And so you can then create a token per GS1 code, right? And that can travel via digital means, via with the product until in, you, you, get the, you get the first mile and you can get the last mile, right? So a frontline care worker can scan that GS1 code, download the token and verify the provenance of that medicine, right? So you don't need all the people in between to agree to do something, 
if you can get the first and last mile, and then you can start to work inwards until you get this interoperability solution where everybody's benefiting from others' information. So I think the time has come um, to uh, plan towards eliminating counterfeit medicine. Of course, the first step that has to be done is serialization. If you don't have serialization, you can't have tokenization. But I'm, you know, I'm going to uh, Rwanda in, in September and giving a talk there at, um, at a healthcare conference. And the title of my talk is From Serialization to Tokenization, How We Can Effectively End Counterfeit at Medicine in the World. It's really not that hard. Um, it's, the key, key requirement is not change behavior. Thank you very much. Now, I know statistics that in some countries in Africa, the majority of the pharmaceuticals is counterfeit, counterfeit and uh, I think that's really a worthwhile goal. So, uh, Suresh, in your company, what are we working on right now? You mentioned some things before, but if I give you a timeline, let's say until Christmas, like, Jim, what do you want to achieve? I need just beyond Christmas, also, yeah, and that's what I'm working on. Just beyond Christmas, into 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 2024, we'll be okay. So one of the things that we're trying to do, I mean, and obviously having started um, our virtual service uh, prior to the pandemic, I mean, we were one step ahead. And and Mike will obviously, if he's going to Rwanda, he'll uh, he'll be meeting Babylon there, who are Babylon, who are my favourite people, uh, not only in the US but in Rwanda as well. But uh, Babylon and I started a long time ago, uh, and this was effectively uh, where we saw that there was an opportunity. The opportunity was effectively looking at how healthcare was changing in terms of interaction between patients and doctors. I think the next step is that uh, uh, the electronic patient record, which is what we're working on at the moment. So we're working on the electronic patient record where everything that we have spoken about here, we will looking to pilot in London uh, in early 2024. Um, and that pilot project will effectively, um, as as we've seen around the panel, it has to be done on a regional basis. London gives us enough of a demographic to work with and a value chain. The value chain isn't only about secondary care, it's also about primary care and tertiary care as well. So I want that whole value chain to be looked at and also the demographics effectively looking at the, the young, uh, the, the working and those who are effectively ageing as we all will be uh, at some point, but I think that's the key thing. What I'm trying to effectively look is look at is the ultimate assisted care. So the ultimate assisted care, where that where that patient record is required, I feel at most in, in in the future years. So that's what we're working on at the moment. Great. And Alex, you want to share some insights, maybe also with an eye on research? Yes. <clears throat> yes. Yes. I mean, I, I mentioned it before on the one inside what I have been working on coming out mm -hmm. of this uh, M2X economy. Um, framework I developed with my former PhD students, <clears throat> uh, Benjamin Lading, uh, is multi-factor challenge set self-sovereign identity authentication. So mm -hmm. I've mentioned it before several times. Um, I developed, uh, <clears throat> after, after doing all the theoretical <clears throat> uh, research into it and publishing about it academically and so on, I implemented uh, an MVP, you could say, uh, with the funding of the next generation internet uh, onto-chain project. Uh, so they were so kind to award me funding to build uh, my MFSSA <clears throat> uh, first system, which I'm trying to get more funding from, uh, from NGI, but I'm open of course for any other funding for that. <clears throat> um, and what I'm trying to do, I also developed another system and Mike, uh, you mentioned counter counterfeiting. 
um, I developed, um, you could say, an NFT um, um, management app backed by in, in the backend by blockchain technologies. Um, uh, so primarily a lot with uh, Swiss funding. So without surprise, uh, the counterfeit products we tried to, uh, as a running case for that, yeah, tried to 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 address uh, were things like Tissot watches and so on. But of course, uh, if you can, you know, um, assign NFTs not for the board monkey memes, but for serious applications, mm. like say um, products like uh, medicine. Yeah, I mean, if you can secure um, with an NFT a Tissot watch, then surely you can also secure um, a uh, critical type of medicine. Yeah, uh, so that's not counterfeit. Uh, to 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 have it checked throughout the um, um, logistics uh, supply chains, and what I'm working on right now is to to um, further secure these NFTs with an integration with the MFSSA DAP. Yeah, so it's these two DAPs I've worked on. On the one hand side, um, the MFSSA, and then this uh, logistics NFT management. Uh, um, blockchain system, which has a very fancy, nice uh, front-end mobile phone app also, so that you hide all the blockchain complexity in the background the way it should be. So I'm at the moment trying to get the funding in to integrate both. Yeah, And this is multi-purpose, so can, of course, very nicely be applied for e-healthcare and, uh, and tracking uh, critical uh, medicines. And the other thing I'm, I'm interested in is uh, the metaverse, uh, which I think is inevitable, even when we hear all sorts of uh, stories, uh, well, that uh, we're not sure is it going to succeed or will it, will it fail, but I think in the end it's inevitable. And there again, we have a trustless, um, trustless collaboration environment. Yeah? So if we do serious metaverse applications not just for the gaming industry uh, but, but really to um, help to make uh, serious business and industry transactions um, uh, more efficient and effective and also in in such a context to uh, uh, it's my, my my humble opinion that nfts uh, are very important uh, for to, to facilitate identity authentication in combination with multi-factor challenge set self-sovereign identity authentication. So this is uh, this is what I'm working on. So I have these two MVPs uh, and this vision uh, orientation towards the metaverse and run, as a running case, of course, e-healthcare uh, is, is a very, very powerful and important one. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Alex. And Anjum, what about you? Yeah, thank you. I think, um... So I have been conducting research in this area because um, I feel like one of the concerns I had was that a lot of um, technological advancement that in, in is meant for adoption in healthcare actually happens without healthcare being actively involved or healthcare specialists being involved. If you look around, there are few medical schools that are doing research in blockchain applications of healthcare uh, in healthcare, but it's mostly being done on the technical side. And while there is a lot of, like some technical, I think, development that still has to happen in blockchain for adoption, and that is happening very fast, but I think this, the flip side of it is how healthcare is prepared to use a technology like, health, uh, like blockchain is still fairly limited. 
And therefore, a lot of examples that we are even hearing about are usually examples that all of us who are relatively healthy, you know, uh, are able to afford healthcare, our interactions with mostly primary care or outpatient, but healthcare data is very, very complex. So if you think of the data that is required for a surgical operation in neurosurgery, that set of data is very complex and it's not just the normal minimum data set that we are talking about or cardiology or other kinds of specialties. So I think being able to inform uh, what technology has to solve for healthcare is important. And that is a uh, close interdisciplinary development that has to happen. Uh, so I sit in the population medicine department of, of Harvard Medical School, and therefore I look at uh, applications in public health mostly uh, because I feel like that's a, a bigger issue where system-wide uh, transformations are uh, much more impactful than how you'll be able to change the practice of each physician or nurse you know, at a patient level. And so we have been working in, uh, in Texas to design uh, a blockchain-based uh, platform for uh, preventive services for HIV patients because uh, there are real concerns of privacy, security, sharing of data, there is stigma uh, affiliated with it. So therefore patients are also, or candidates are also not too keen to share their information. And it's a very fragmented set of uh, providers who are providing these services who are not talking to each other. So being able to use a technology like blockchain to be able to build trust uh, among those who are afraid of sharing their information, but at the same time to bring build efficiency uh, when fragmentation of the system currently prevents us to be able to track who is getting these services, why people are dropping off, what can we do in terms of interventions to improve outcomes and, and prevent something like this. Uh, so that's an area we are, uh, we are doing research in, in terms of how do these new technologies or emerging technologies like blockchain can help us solve these population level problems that um, are uh, multidimensional. There is a strong social and personal preference in it, but there is also technological and governance issues that can be uh, solved to help in, uh, in uh, providing better outcomes in these populations. Thank you, Anjum. And thanks to all of you. You've been an amazing panel and thanks for sharing your insights from the industry, but also from research. And I, yeah, I, I think this will be a, a great panel discussion for the conference. If anyone is interested in more information, please feel free to reach out to us. And I'm stopping this panel now and wish you all a good morning, evening, afternoon or night, depending wherever you are. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Okay. <laughs>